You're listening to Love, Maine Radio with Dr. Lisa Belisle, recorded in the studio of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Dr. Lisa Belisle is a physician trained in family and preventative medicine, acupuncture, and public health. She offers medical care and acupuncture at Brunswick Family Medicine. Read more about her integrative approach to wellness in Maine Magazine. Love, Maine Radio is available for download free on iTunes. See the Love Maine Radio Facebook page or www.lovemainradio.com for details. Now here are a few highlights from this week's program. Anything can be achieved. There are ways to overcome any hurdle today in life. Uh, I just look around the world. Things are terrible in many parts of this world, and we don't have it that bad here, folks. I mean, we really don't. We've got it really made. We need to talk to our youth and make sure that they're in a developmental stage to carry on with the community spirit that we have today. Love, Maine Radio is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Marcy Booth of Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Hardingley Smith of The Rooms, and Bangor Savings Bank. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to Love, Maine Radio, show number 192, Resilient Life, airing for the first time on Sunday, May 17th, 2015. We never know what silent battles those among us might be engaged in. Local businessman Jim Godboot faced a series of losses, physical, emotional, and social, as a child. Through self-care and healing techniques like acupuncture, yoga, and healthy eating, Jim has created a full and happy life, rising above problems like epilepsy, encephalitis, and the loss of his twin brother at the age of five. Jim embodies the quality of resilience to which most of us aspire. Thank you for joining us. One of my favorite things about Love, Maine Radio is the opportunity to spend time with friends of mine who I have known previously. Today I'm going to introduce you to Jim Godboot, who owns Jim Godboot Plumbing in Biddeford. Jim was diagnosed with encephalitis at a young age and developed a seizure disorder. The condition is made worse by stress, so for his own well-being, Jim created a healthy and regimented lifestyle, which includes daily meditation, yoga, exercise, and healthy eating, as well as regular acupuncture, chiropractic, and massage treatments. Jim lives in Saco with his wife, and he has one grown son. Jim, it's really great to have you in the studio today. Thank you, Lisa. I love this story because you are one of these people, and we have, we have quite a fair number in Maine that isn't exactly what he appears on the surface. You're the successful um, owner of Jim Godbout Plumbing. And thank you, by the way, for doing the plumbing on our house. You've done a great job. (laughs) And you're always, every time we've ever needed to call you, even in an emergency, you're always there. I know why you're successful from a business standpoint, but I would never have thought about this other side of you. Well, I think they go hand in hand, to tell you the truth. We we love servicing our customers because we love people and it's kept us successful for a long time, uh, 30 plus years. Uh, But the other side of that is very stressful to run a plumbing and heating business uh, from the financial side to the demands of our customers because they're usually calling in a panic. So it's, it's, you know, we have to calm them and get out there and and take care of their plumbing, heating, or air conditioning needs. Um, Very early on, I figured out that we need to control stress in order to be um, 
successful in business and in life because you can't bring that home and you ruin your family life. So I've adopted many, many alternatives to um, traditional health care in order to do that. Well, tell me about this encephalitis. Tell me about that original story. Okay. The encephalitis was brought on um, from a scary disease that people think nothing of, but uh, it was developed when I got mono at a very young age. Uh, I think I was maybe a freshman or so in high school. And the mono uh, didn't get treated right away because the symptoms were not to a point where it had to be, didn't think there was anything wrong other than normal school-age problems. So uh, the encephalitis developed, which was the swelling of the brain, causing some brain damage, and uh, later a seizure disorder, which at first we had severe grand mal seizures uh, and petite mal seizures, causing me not to be able to drive, uh, difficulty working once we even got uh, medication controlled. School was definitely not an option, so uh, my scholastic career was high school, but it was developed with a program called cooperative uh, education. So I went to one class a day and went to work. So I thus started my working career at a very young age, probably from uh, attributed to a medical condition from, from the monoencephalitis and seizures. Uh, I felt that um, you know at the time we needed to do something different with my education because I was a little bit combative at, at the high at the age with the sicknesses that I was having. So working seemed to be my outlet at the time. So. There's so many things as a family doctor that I'm sitting here thinking about. Um, one of them is you're absolutely right. When, when I have patients who come in and who have mono, and I see this all the time, I, I, don't, I think you're the first person who's actually presented in front of me that had this encephalitis as a result. I mean, it's something we learn about in medical school, but it's very rare. So what did that feel like to be like the one case of this happening that you knew of and go from being like a freshman in high school, normal life, to this thing that shouldn't have impacted you so much? Yeah, well, I was fortunate enough to have a very good neurological team uh, that, and I shouldn't say that, first off was my pediatrician at that time, Dr. Connor Moore, which was well known in the area and still and is he's today. he's been on the radio show. He's a special person and, and a good friend of mine, and uh, I thoroughly enjoy his company as of today. Uh, Dr. Connor Moore directed me to uh, some neurologists in the Portland, Maine area who were very aggressive in, in uh, trying to find out what was wrong. Uh, I did go through some pretty extensive tests that um, would be considered primitive today, but uh, they did figure out that there was some issues um, with my brain, you know, causing the, um, and they thought it definitely was caused from the mono. They didn't figure out the mono, then encephalitis. So the treatment of that um, seizure disorder, though, there's no real brain surgery at the time or anything to, to treat that, so it was medication. Some aggressive medication that caused all kinds of side effects um, for me for many, many years. Uh, but I thank God that we had good uh, physicians in the uh, in Maine, which we still do today. I think we have some of the best health care around. And uh, I can attribute Dr. Connor Moore for really um, getting back, getting me on the right track um, to where I am today. Yeah, those seizure medications, I have patients who have to be on them long term, and you're right. They do, they impact you in small ways and big ways. Your liver, your liver metabolizes them, and sometimes it can cause liver problems. Also, they can make you feel sleepy or a little out of it. So, you know, as a teenager trying to deal with those, it's sort of a balance because you don't want to have seizures because those impact you in a bad way, but also, you know, the medication itself is really tough. Yeah, absolutely. The early medications were a dilantin at the time, which had 
the sleepiness was a huge factor. You you couldn't function uh, uh, like you'd want to be functioning. Like you had all this energy, but you, your body was just drained down. It also had an awful side effect as your gums would grow over your teeth. Um, and it, talk about an awful procedure to go through as a young person to have your periodontist take the gums away from you. Just an awful thing. Then later on, they brought us into a drug called Tegretol, which... You felt loopy, or you know, I'm surprised they even let me drive back then to tell you the truth. But um, I was able to function, work, and and I always remained a positive attitude um, in life. My I, my family was broken up at a young age. I had a twin brother who passed away of leukemia at five. Family broke apart early, so I had some younger siblings. Um, two of them that uh, live still in Saco, Maine, with me. And they, uh, you know, I kind of took them under my wing. We cared for them with, with my mom being a single parent at the time. So it was a lot of, a lot of pressure on me to make sure that um, the family succeeded. Uh, and I was nothing but going to succeed, no matter what my health challenges might have been. So. Are you the oldest in your family? I am the oldest, yes. So you are not only taking responsibility for yourself and for your younger brothers and sisters, but also helping your mom, who is a single parent. Correct. I was uh, pretty much a breadwinner at a very young age, and that's why the co-op program actually helped out with uh, keeping the family um, you know, financially stable at that time. And that's where I learned to cook, too, because I had to be the chef in the house at that time. So I learned at a young age how to cook with very little and make something very nice. So, And I think about also, as a teenager, I mean, we already know, you know, having had three teenagers myself, we already know that there's just a lot going on. There's a lot going on socially, a lot going on emotionally and physically. And add on top of that, um, sort of the brain issues that you're describing. And I don't know what those were for you, but often I know people have issues with anger, judgment, like impaired judgment, you know, and to, to, for you to be doing all of those things you just described for your family, but also um, dealing with stuff that you can't really help that's happening inside your head. Yeah, it was it was extremely difficult. There were some, um, um, for be- I don't know a better term for it, but the, it was motor issues that I had. You know, some of it was reading was difficulty reading words and actually absorbing them. Um, I would have some petite mal seizures, which would cause a lot of fluttering in the eyes. So I'd have difficulty concentrating on on specific, especially school was very very hard. Um, so the seizures were. Um, they were a real challenge, but I, I got to say this: they, I think they brought character to me and learned to overcome pretty much any obstacle. And as you said earlier, life has so many. Everybody's in warp speed today with their lifestyles, and I take a deep breath and sit back and go, "Not worth it, folks." You know, put the phones away, enjoy your family, take a deep breath, enjoy a meal and conversation together. It brings so much to you. It brings so much life to you. And if that's not there for you, go give to your community because that's another portion that I do. It's just, uh, I'm a huge Rotarian, which our group is always supporting our young and old and needy in our community. And it just it brings so much nourishment to my body to do that for our community. We've talked about the, um, the neurologist that you work with, the neurologic team that you had. We've talked about Dr. Moore, the pediatrician that you had. At some point, though, you began to um, integrate other things personally into your regimen, and a lot of them. I mean, I'm, I'm impressed that, how old are you now, Jim? I'm 53 this year, so. Now, 53, I don't know that many 53-year-olds that uh, have daily meditation, yoga, exercise, healthy eating, regular acupuncture, chiropractic and massage treatments, all in their regular lives. That's a, that is an enormous commitment. So tell me how you started becoming interested in these things. 
Well, you know, I have to say some of it was brought on by uh, my networking of business. You know, you, you, you meet so many people. Um, and, and over the years, I've always recognized um, chiropractic being the care. My uncle's a chiropractor, so I had chiropractic care at a very young age. But I had clients who were um, acupuncturists, which I just were blown away. She could barely speak English. She's a young lady, in, in, um, and I couldn't even tell you her age. She looked young to me, but she may be old. A young Chinese lady in candy bunk. She started acupuncture on me many years ago, and I just could not believe the value of it. My body, from taking all the medications over the years, has developed um, issues with my liver, issues with um, disc degeneration, the medication. So I have severe back and neck issues with degeneration. So the only way I can keep up the lifestyle that I'm leading, and I like, I love to be active golfing and walking with my wife and my dog and, and um, enjoying life physically, is that to have the chiropractic care, the massage therapy, and the acupuncture care therapy, which is uh, over the last uh, 10 or 15 years has been a routine every month. I have to have, um, it, it's every other week or so, and my wife is great at organizing that for me, so I commend Lynn for doing that. So she does a great job at it. But it helps with, uh, you know, as I went a year ago, I had some uh, severe back issues where um, the nerve was impinged to the point my leg would not shake, and the pain was incredible. I had to have surgery. There's no other way around it. But the doctor said, uh, the neurosurgeon here in Portland, uh, fantastic guy, said, Jim, you're in fantastic shape. You're, you're, you're flexible. You have severe degeneration of your disc, and of your neck, and your back. But you take care of yourself. So he says, we're not going to fuse your back. You have four discs. We're not going to fuse you. We're going to take care of the one disc, get you back on your regimented routine, your fantastic shape you're not overweight you're you're my you know my prodigy i love seeing you know people like you because you're gonna make me look good and i have it's really worked i had the surgery back on my feet in, in no time and continue with the chiropractic care from a good friend of mine in benefit on a monthly basis sometimes more often depending on how much i beat myself up <clears throat> the acupuncturist is a, a sweetheart of a friend in benefit as well uh, lisa bouchard who does a great job of dealing with specific um, aches and pains I may have. She can target those areas, and I'm just blown away at that type of medicine. I, if, if nobody's ever experienced that, they really need to open their eyes to it because you don't need to take pills to cure everything. I don't take an aspirin uh, other than some blood pressure medication, probably business-related issues, but uh, that's the uh, I don't take aspirin on a daily basis for pain or any other pain medication, and uh, we could all learn from these alternative methods. What about your healthy eating? This is something you, you told me that you learned how to cook at a young age and that became important to you over time. Tell me what types of things you try to do to stay in a balanced Well, we, way. we uh, again, it goes back to our clients that we have. You know, we've done work for many, many restaurants over the years and developed relationships with chefs and farmers locally. And, and um, we found uh, my wife and I have eaten healthy uh, probably since we were married. I mean, it's incredible, actually. So everything is fresh, fresh vegetables, fresh meats, uh, lots of fish. And you know, we're, we're big fish eaters. And what a great place to be in, in southern Maine here to have great fish and, and uh, produce. Um, so and, and I love trying different things. So it could be, uh, you know, from last night's dinner was a, a big haddock with a, with a kale and broccoli rab stir fry. You know, it's just a, that's our staple of the evening. And then tonight may be a, another protein with vegetables. I mean, it's just a, so whatever's fresh market, we go for it. And I enjoy trying different things. And we have fun and conversation during the meal, which is uh, really important for me for 
releasing stress for the whole day, the cooking and the conversation at the end of the day. Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by Bangor Savings Bank. For over 150 years, Bangor Savings has believed in the innate ability of the people of Maine to achieve their goals and dreams. Whether it's personal finance, business banking, or wealth management assistance you're looking for, at Bangor Savings Bank, you matter more. For more information, visit www.bangor.com. And you mentioned walking. You walk your dog. You mentioned golf. Tell me about what other things you like to do from an exercise standpoint. I think walking is probably my favorite, um, especially when you're walking with your wife or your dog. Your do- I go out in the morning about 4.30, quarter, 5 with the dog, and this morning it was 17 below zero, and she and I just had a fantastic time on the beach watching the sea smoke coming up. You talk about starting a day on the right foot with a dog that's wagging, a yellow Labrador, just wagging the tail. You swear to God she's smiling at you, and it's just a, it just brings so much to you. It really does. And then you look at the ocean and how clean and free spirit that is with the sea smoke coming up, and you go nothing's that important to be upset about during the day so it's just a great start to the day my wife and i will walk every evening together uh, with great conversation get the heart beating a little bit and um, uh, chat about the day and uh, enjoy the company of our dog which is uh, she's she's very special obviously my son's grown now so we have another child in the house a little three-year-old lab which she's she's my best friend she's awesome so but my wife and i enjoy her company constantly i try to make time every week to say, all right, Jim, we're not going to work 70, 80 hours a week, which is not uncommon for me to do. Um, especially my wife will remind me, Jim, you got to go golfing. You know, who ever heard of a wife telling go golfing? But it's a good stress relief. So on a Wednesday night or a Saturday morning, I'll go out and uh, go for a nice casual walk and have a great conversation and don't get stressed about the game because it's just the game. So I enjoy the, the walk and the exercise and um, usually play pretty good golf. So it's fun. No, a good attitude is important to you, and that's that's pretty clear to anyone who's listening. Was there a time that you realized that that was going to be the case? Was there some turning point where one day you just said, I know I have this, all the stuff I'm dealing with, but I have to have a good attitude. Was there something that caused that to happen? You know what, Lisa, I probably go back to um, a, a pretty young age where I realized that. Uh, I've been... A little, our family's been a little unfortunate having a lot of death in our family, people that were close to us. And I recognize that death is part of living. And there was a time where I actually uh, needed some mental health treatment at a very young age where my, my grandfather had passed, who was basically my father figure, very tight with him. And he taught me an awful lot about the trades and about people. And he was old school, you know, World War II veteran, special person in my life. But I recognized, you know, I got upset and angry and depressed a bit. And I said, I had a bit of a turning point there. Finally woke up one day and said, you know what, this life is too short to be carrying this way and to move on. Uh, had many close friends die over the years, and um, including my dad, who died about seven years ago. And the one thing I've always done since then is I said, I'm never going to get down and out or depressed or anything like that. I'm going to spend every minute I can with that person when they're alive and enjoy their company and listen to them, and I'm gonna carry their thoughts with me forever. Um, so I don't get as down on the person dying, knowing that it's part of life and that remembering them in a, in a good manner is, is perfect. So I'd have to say that was probably the turning point, having a bunch of death at one time in my, in my life 
I said, uh, it's time to be upbeat all the time because life is very short. It was your brother you mentioned, your twin brother. My twin brother. Who died of leukemia when you were five. Five, correct. So that's old enough probably to have some memories of him, that, to have bonded with him. Absolutely. Um, I have some visual memories that uh, of him. He had uh, a few other ailments at the same uh, at the same time. He had a club foot, so I always remember a cast on him. If you can believe it, he was a little darker complexion than I was too. So we always we were always paired together, and you could tell who was Johnny and who was Jimmy. So, and my son um, John was actually named after my twin as well, uh, part of that. But uh, we um, uh, we were we were identical, of course. Uh, something that was found out later in life too is uh, twins have twins have a unique bond. I had some issues with. Uh, going to a physician and my doctor thinking I had some issues with my thyroids and they were checking things out and all of a sudden we had a sonogram done and found out I only had half a thyroid or one side was a thyroid never had surgery or anything my brother John they believe had the other one so some uniqueness in a bond that we have even today that you know it was 30 40 years after he had passed you know I have a connection still with him you know the doctor said well he had the other and Never had to have medication for it or anything, so it was kind of unique. So, but um, I still remember him to this day, and um, his smile was um, probably something I still carry today because I, I love to smile, as you can see. I, I enjoy. And uh, he died at Children's Hospital at the age of five. But during that time, leukemia was not a really uh, disease that was treatable at the time. They they treated it somewhat, but it really wasn't curable. So, being an identical twin, I had to go through a numerous tests, you know, such as bone marrow and, and such, and those were horrific back then. So, I still remember that as well. And this contributed to all of these tragedies. Contributed to your parents breaking up, which you grew up in Saco. In Saco, yeah. In Saco, yeah. I would think that back then, in during the time that you were growing up in that part of Maine parents breaking up that was probably somewhat unusual it was unusual at the time um, thank God we had some support from um, some great aunts and my grandfather which lived nearby so we did have some support and that time my dad was French Canadian he was born in Canada he went back to Canada you know uh, and hooked up with somebody there for a while and then came back to the States later and remarried uh, I think my mom and dad did have a communicable relationship later on. They weren't battling forever, but I think during the death of my brother probably brought about a, a lot of that. Uh, I mean, it would, it's turmoil for anybody, any family. Uh, my father and I did, you know, reconcile many years later, even though I still had an awful feeling from what he had done to us as a young... <clears throat> but I look at it as, you know, maybe he helped build the character that I am today, you know, by forcing me to do things at a very young age and be a strong person and and uh, create the networking that I've done about thinking everybody's a good person. You know? So when did you get back to? When did you reconcile with him? When did you get back together with him? Um, I, I would say it would be thirty plus years ago we reconciled together, and uh, it was difficult at first. But you know, it was typical of a, a divorced parent at the time at that time where. He may show up once a month or whatever and take the three boys out to, you know, bowling or something of that nature. So it wasn't really a relationship of any kind. Never went to any of our athletic activities or scholastic activities. So we really didn't see much of him. But I recognize, again, he's my dad. He's my blood. And we had to make up my... So later in life, when he, like I said, he passed away several years ago, 
we connected again, and, and he had an awful disease called mesothelioma. Uh, he was a truck driver, and um, I cared for him before he passed. It was our my wife and I's twenty um, fifth anniversary, so we said goodbye before we went on a trip away. And um, but a, a horrible disease that my grandfather passed away of as well. They called it lung cancer at the time, but he worked in the shipyard. So. Um, but caring for him during that time, we, we reconciled and said our goodbyes, and it was, it was a, a good way to leave uh, part ways. I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about um, my own family because my father's side of the family grew up in Bitterford, and my father's mother uh, passed away when I think he was 13 or 14. Um, also French-Canadian, also um, the family, well, I don't know where what your family's um, working uh, background was, but his family worked in the mills. Everybody lived right around the mills. And when his mother passed away, and he had, I believe, three younger siblings, the aunts, the great aunts, the grandparents, the the extended family came in and they helped out. And it seems like that's that's kind of similar to what you're describing. That it's not just the mother and the father take care of the kids. It's there's something going on. We're all going to step in and we're going to help. They out. all step in, and that is that that's a heritage thing. And I, that's a story you should really think about Tallinn sometime because the French can. Canadians are unique people. My father was one of ten, and uh, his aunts are all still, I mean, my aunts, his sisters are all still locally. Matter of fact, we just had them over for Christmas, and they're the best people. I mean, they're so giving, they're so loving, and they moved down from uh, Quebec. At a, most of them were a very young age. I think they had one pair of shoes between the ten and ten, ten kids. And again, the, the father worked in the mills, and um, they brought up some tremendous families. I mean, and to this day, they're the most loving, giving people you'd ever meet. And if there's a problem, they're there supporting him. I have an uncle who's sick right now. I can honestly say, all my aunts are there. You know, probably daily bringing him food and caring for him and just nurturing him till his his passing days. So. And this is something that it seems like uh, for you has not just been about the community of your family, but the community. You were talking about Rotary. So you're obviously you're kind of thinking of everybody as your family, the people that work with you, the people that are in Rotary with you. Why are these community connections so important? They are so important to me. It gives me so much joy to take care of people. I, I, I don't know, maybe that's my French-Canadian background. I really... I have so much joy taking care of people. I could tell you some, I got so many stories I could tell about going out in the community. We have local relationships with police departments and fire departments and code enforcement officers, and they know what I'm like. So they'll phone me, and it may be in Kennebunk or Biddeford or Saco. Uh, I can tell you of a gentleman last year that um, it just broke my heart. We, he, It was a, a man in his 86 or 87 years of age, had a trailer park in, um, in Saco he was living the police had notified me that he'd been without water for several days. The pipes had froze. He had no money. We went in and took care of this uh, gentleman, World War II veteran. Had some nice stories to tell me, which I, re- I really admire, those people. He had no money. So I look out in the driveway. He's driving a 1986 Ford Explorer. As we're leaving, he wanted to pay us. He's got the title to this 1986 Ford Explorer he wants to hand off to us. I had tears in my eyes. And I said, no, Mr. Valcourt. Um, angels have taken care of you. This is on the angels in the area. So you can't believe how much joy that brings to myself. And I've been, I try to instill those values to my employees and to everybody around me because if we all give a little something, it makes this place a better place to live. You know, I have noticed that. We've had people from your um, 
your company, and I know they're from your company because they wear your name on their <laughs> outfits, but they've been doing work on yeah. our house. And I have noticed this, that they, they genuinely want to connect, that they genuinely care about the work that they're doing, that they're out there um, making sure that the job site is clean, which, <laughs> and I don't know that maybe everybody does this, but I've had some experiences where that's not true. There's some pride, there's some desire to be known for, I don't know, for good work, for good yeah. relationships. Professionalism. I mean, yeah. Our trade needed professionalism. That's probably why I got involved with this trade, was I saw the lack of it at, at an early age, and I think it's come a long way, and we've tried to be leaders in that in regards to being educated in, in what we do and carry a level of professionalism and communicate with our customers because that's, a, that's a, something that's been a difficult thing in all the trades, whether it be construction or electrical or, or such. If you communicate with your customers, it means so much. And um, so we try to instill those uh, values with my employees to make sure they're communicating, talking to me and the, the customer, and getting make sure they're getting the best best service possible. Uh, and it's really worked for us. We've uh, created a huge network over the years, and we've never really advertised other than taking care of the main magazine. You know, we do our relationship thing with them, but uh, we, um, we rely on the, the people that we've worked for before. You haven't had a seizure for 35 years? Since I was 35. so about, Since you were 35. Yeah, about 18 years. 18 years. Yeah. Was there something that happened at that point? Was there some reason? Was there something, some magical pill that you took or some <laughs> magical thing that you did? Or what was the circumstance there? Uh, no, I, you know, I can't give an answer for that, whether I just outgrew the seizure disorder but there was a, a, a neurologist that suggested that I get off the medication, which I did. I get off the Tegretol and the Dilantin, and um, I kept my normal lifestyle. I'll have a glass of wine a day or a beer or, or some, you know, just a moderate amount of, of alcohol. It seemed to dissipate all um, seizure activity, even petite mal seizures. I get sometimes you'll get a little fluttery in the eye and think, oh God, are they coming back? But no, it may be just an age thing, or you know, there's a lot of different things that can go on, but. Uh, there was no spark or no stoplight that came on and said, all right, you're all done. It just transpired. We got off the medication, and it was scary at first, thinking, oh, God, I'm going to have grand mal seizures. And maybe the fact that my lifestyle changes were taking place about that same time. I was eating well, exercising. Um, so maybe the combination of all these little elements, because that's about the same time I started doing a lot of these uh, alternative uh, Health, uh, health thing. So maybe that was the, the turning point. Well, that's actually the answer I wanted you to get. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I'm glad you came up with that. But I'm also thinking, you know, for such a long time, we've thought about brain damage um, and even physical body damage as being permanent and irreversible. But what we've started to learn is that neurons can regenerate and that there is a plasticity to the brain specifically, and even to nerves in the body that enables them to heal. So what I'm wondering is with time and with all of these things that you've done to keep your body healthy, you know, increase your ability to deal with stress, um, is that your brain somehow is able to heal itself. I totally believe that, and it may not be totally attributed to brain uh, neurons coming back, but what made me think of this is the back injury I had where I had severe nerve damage in my left leg. Uh, my wife and I called it chicken leg because I was, had a lot of atrophy there. Those two nerves that were dead in my leg have come back, which was truly amazing. It took about a couple-year period, but 
uh, through exercise and, and biking and, and good nutrition, uh, I have you know almost gained full mobility of, of my leg again, which is truly amazing. So, um, and now thinking about how that works, I said it's got to be something similar in the brain as well because I can function or high, highly functional. I think uh, running a business and, and uh, organizational piece of the business is is very challenging and takes a lot of mental skills. Uh, I don't feel like I have any deterrent at all from the encephalitis and, and seizure disorder that I had in the previous one. What I don't hear you saying in any of this is, I needed to get rid of the stress in my life. There wasn't really a way you could do that anyway, and there isn't really a way that most of us could do this. What you said instead was, I know that I have stress in my life. I want to be able to take care of people and take care of myself, so how can I do that? How can I deal with my stress? And that's really what you've done. You haven't pushed the world away. You brought the world in, but you strengthened yourself. Strengthen yourself. Stress management, I'll call it. I mean, it's not about eliminating, because we can't eliminate it. We live in a very fast lifestyle, uh, especially here in southern Maine. If you look at other parts of the country, I go visit friends or talk to people around the country. We're very fast-paced here in southern Maine, and people have high expectations for us, so stress is a, we're not going to get rid of that. How do we deal with it? And my way of dealing with it is using the alternatives, which are some exercise, eating well, uh, giving back to my communities, socializing. Uh, I think it's a people that become introverted become a little bit angry over time, so I think you need to socialize. And um, giving back is probably one of the best things that, uh, that relieves some stress for me. So whether it's a, a local school or an elderly man who needed some help or through my Rotary Club, which touches people throughout the world, actually. How did you get involved with Rotary? good friend of mine um, brought me in a number of years ago, 10-plus years ago, Roland Eon. He was a fantastic friend and uh, has had some challenges himself over time. And Rotary has been a big part of his life, and I recognize that. And he asked me to join. And if people don't know what Rotary does, they really should reach out to somebody who is a Rotarian because we do so much for our communities and for the, for the whole world, you know, from... Um, almost eradicating polio if you look at what um, we do internationally to um, sending crutches to Africa to buying jackets and socks and, and mittens for kids locally here and doing a dictionary project most kids have never had a dictionary in their life we go give them to the third graders every year in the local schools to bring in Christmas and Thanksgiving to their homes that may not have food on the table uh, Rotarians are, are, are special people and whenever you see that pin on somebody shake their hand because they're a good person. As a physician and small business owner, I rely on Marcy Booth from Booth, Maine to help me with my own business and to help me live my own life fully. Here are a few thoughts from Marcy. When was the last time you took a break from what you were doing, from the work that was piled up on your desk and just looked up? I know that during the course of my days, I often forget to take a moment or two to just breathe look up at the sky, and dream. Terrible that I have to remind myself to breathe, but when I do, I feel energized because in those moments, I'm able to let go of the daily grind and think more about what I want to accomplish, how I want my business to grow. Sometimes, those are the aha moments. If we all took a few moments out each day to stop what we're doing and dream a little about our business futures, not only would we feel a great sense of calm, but we may come to realize that these dreams can, in fact, come true. I'm Marcy Booth. Let's talk about the changes you need. 
boothmain.com. This segment of Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by the following generous sponsors. Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage in Yarmouth, Maine. Honesty and integrity can take you home. With Remax Heritage, it's your room. Learn more at rheritage.com. Now, speaking of good people, I'm wondering about your wife, Lynn, and how you met. Well, she lived on the other side of the bridge. I grew up in Saco, so it was interesting. Uh, uh, she and I uh, met actually at uh, a dance hall in Old Ocean Beach, Maine, called the White Hall. <laughs> uh, many years ago, 1981, I think, or two, something like that. So we've been married in 1983, and um, we have a great relationship. She taught school for 25-plus years and decided to get away from um, the teachings to... Um, it was getting a little bit stressful for her, very stressful, because the, the environment changed, the methods have changed, and um, it just wasn't a good fit for her, so she decided out of it. She is very active. She's at the Y for three, four hours a day, which is one of the communities, uh, organizations I support whole, wholeheartedly. They're a great, great thing, and she's at the Y many hours with lots of people socializing, young and old. Um, she's out with our dog, and she brings some mental health to me that I need at the beginning of the day and the end of the day. And she, she copes with the long hours and uh, the stress that I sometimes bring home, but we seem to work through it. Uh, she's a special person, and um, she's been my wife for 30-plus years now, so since, and um, 32 years now. And uh, we have a wonderful son, Jonathan, that uh, has done remarkable things in his lifestyle, and I attribute my wife, Lynn, and, and how we brought that young fella up. I mean, Well, tell me about some of those remarkable things. Well, Jonathan went to uh, Biddeford High School, graduated very high in his class, um, went to Colby College here in Waterville, Maine. He was recruited there. He um, graduated on the dean's list. He was dean's list every year. He was recruited by IBM as senior year and um, went to work for them down in uh, Washington, D.C. at a very young age, uh, right after graduation. Uh, working in the Pentagon, uh, rubbing elbows with all the politicians. I always say, John, don't make sure you don't catch that bug down there, but uh, you can work with them, just don't catch the bug of politics. Uh, he has gone uh, up the ladder uh, remarkably, actually. Married a young girl from Venezuela, uh, and uh, they have a home now in Cincinnati, and they kind of go remote relationships back and forth, and she's getting her Ph.D. in psychology, so... Um, Two very smart people, two young people were excited that someday maybe have grandkids with them. It would be fantastic. But um, we taught John at a very young age. He worked with our company, great work ethics. And he obviously had his mother's brains because he did very well in college and uh, excelled. So he's got my work ethic and her brains, and uh, he's gone over the top now with IBM. It's a great company. He's a um, economics major, so he's doing a lot of um, business management stuff for, for IBM uh, on the government side, so we're very proud of him. I suspect that probably he has some of your brains too, although I don't want to take anything away from Lynn, <laughs> but I suspect he probably has your brains too. Do you ever wish that you had been able to go on to college? Is that something that you would have wanted to do if you weren't dealing with so much as a high schooler? I do. I wish I would have had the opportunity to go to further education. It would have um, helped me with the business world that I'm in right now because I have to rely on reaching out and taking classes or reading or 
listening. I'm a really good listener, and, and I listen to everybody and anybody, and I take that information back with me. I go to international shows and national shows uh, about um, business and plumbing and heating, air conditioning. So I grasp all that information I can from anybody I can and bring that back home and try to put instill that into my business and in my lifestyle. So I wish I would have had the opportunity to get a, fr a, a better education, but it just wasn't there. So I got to learn how to work. So. Well, it is an education. It may not be a formal education, but what you've done is very, you are very educated in a very practical and important way. Yeah. And what I'm wondering about is we are less and less focused on the trades and schools. When I was going through, there was, a, I, I believe, a much stronger vocational element to education so that if people wanted to, they could, there was a large number of people who could go on and learn the trades. Um, I hope that there's a resurgence in that, but I think for a while it's been underemphasized. It's been severely underemphasized. And if you look at the average age of, you know, we have 20 employees in my company, and we're around 50 years medium age. I mean, that's pretty scary when you think about it. And we go every year and talk to the local vocational schools and the local high schools and the guidance departments. We've done this for 15 or 20 years. We've been talking to them. This seem to be, this seem to have been. Uh, pushing those children away or if you were a bad boy you were going to be in the trades I mean that's just the wrong approach you can have an extremely good lifestyle in the trades and uh, what's happened is that now we've got a real shortage of mechanics and whether it be electrical or plumbing or welding machine trades are huge too we have, I have some friends that own machine shops they're going into the high schools and they're recruiting kids now teaching them at a very young age and putting them on their payrolls basically as soon as they can out of high school uh, we've gone and reached out it does require a lot of training today to be in the trades and business is one to start with we're not finding a lot of young people that want to get involved I mean so the, everybody wants the shortcut they want the easy money or they want it you, you got to work hard in this field and you will be successful there's been a big push nationally now and even locally I'm hearing more about it to bring the trades back uh, to the forefront um, in hopes that it comes quick because um, there's people retiring at a very, very, very fast rate here in the state of Maine. And um, trades are something you're always going to need. You're always going to need services such as air conditioning and heating and plumbing. I mean, it, that never goes away. As electronic as we get in this world, those are services you've got to be able to utilize your hands to, to make operational. And there's something very, I don't know, when I, when I fix something at my house, it's very satisfying. It's rewarding. I mean, I, I'm not terribly well-trained in these things, but it's kind of like when a patient would come in and have a laceration that I would need to suture. Yeah. You know, you come in with some cut and I make it, I fix that cut. There's something so satisfying about that. So there is some aspect of the trades that I would, I think that people would find appealing. I personally do because if you can fix something, it's a twofold because you're going to get that piece of equipment running or, or, or toilet or whatever it might be or faucet that's dripping and you've stopped it you've made somebody happy on the other side too so you've done two things uh, and it to me it's very rewarding uh, I have a motto my guys sometimes they'll get upset about it, but we, we do a lot of unique jobs and um, my saying is you know if it was easy everybody do it if it's hard we're gonna do it because we're willing to try anything so we enjoy the challenge and it's rewarding to make the repair. I mean, we, we did one yesterday in a sub-zero windshield factors that most companies would have walked away from, but 
I took a couple of my guys and made some network of calls to various people within uh, various trades in the city and things. And we pulled off a miracle yesterday afternoon. And um, I got home. I was filthy and dirty and all those good things and cold. But I had a good feeling inside because we would repair something that most people would not be able to do. So I, I think there's something about the technological age that um, the media age that is, is almost inviting people back to this hands-on element. It's so gratifying to work. And, and I admire those people. I, you know, I read a story about the farmers locally. I think it was in maybe in the Sunday paper or something. And to have a, an education and then to do farming, it, it's they get the best of both worlds right there. I mean, really do. They're going to be successful in whatever they do. And it's so rewarding to work with your hands. I, I just, they're very fortunate. Boat building, too. I mean, talk about standing back and looking at what you've finished afterwards. That is pretty impressive. Or uh, finished carpenters. I mean, there's a trade right there, too. There's some people that, I know a gentleman in Biddeford who built staircases. I mean, there's some work there that you just, it's, it's stuff they did with their hands turn a century ago, which you haven't seen in many times. I just admire them that they can build something. It may take them a lot of time. They get a lot of patience to do it, but... When you stand back and you look what they've done with their hands, it's just truly remarkable. And I do think that there is the, there is a main um, history to that. I mean, we think of all of our, our, yours and mine, our relatives who worked in the mills and all of the people who can say the, exactly the same thing here in the state of Maine are the people who are foresters or farmers or lobster people. I guess I, I should call them lobster men, although lobster people just <laughs> people. sounds weird, but the lobstering industry. I mean, there, there always has been an element of hands-on, and and I like that it's going back to that again. Yeah, I do too. I think it's fantastic. And main, main ingenuity is definitely a word I would use because I, I think of all the different things from lobstermen to <laughs> lobster people. Uh, they have to adapt to such certain situations very quickly if it's a, a broken uh, hose on the, on, the, on the boat when they're at sea and... How do we fix this quickly? Is it uh, jamming a wooden plug in there so we can get back to shore without drowning, or, or is it uh, you know the carpenter on a job who's uh, does run out of nails and needs to figure a way to to make something adapt? People in Maine find a way to adapt to the harshest things, and this winter is probably one of the tests as well. There's some people that have adapted some very harsh conditions this year. I mean, they just, we're survivors. We're real survivors here in the state, and we find ways to to work around all of the difficult situations. There was a time when the apothecary was a place where you could get safe, reliable medicines, carefully prepared by experienced professionals, coupled with care and attention, focused on you and your unique health concerns. Apothecary by Design is built around the forgotten notion that you don't just need your prescriptions filled, you need attention, advice, and individual care. Visit their website, apothecarybydesign.com, or drop by the store at 84 Marginal Way in Portland and experience pharmacy care the way it was meant to be. Experience chef and owner Harding Lee Smith's newest hit restaurant, Boone's Fish House and Oyster Room, Maine seafood at its finest. Joining sister restaurants The Front Room, The Grill Room, and The Corner Room, this newly renovated two-story restaurant at 86 Commercial Street on Custom House Wharf overlooks scenic Portland Harbor. Watch lobstermen bring in the daily catch as you enjoy baked stuffed lobster, raw bar, and wood-fired flatbreads. 
For more information, visit www.theroomsportland.com. What do you see in your future? I mean, you seem like a person who lives very much in the present, but I assume that you're also you're also a planner. I can tell that. You're an organizer, you're a business owner, you you know, you what is it that you would like to see happen? What are some of your hopes? Okay. Um, I don't really have a exit strategy because I do look at today. You mean exit in life or exit in business? Exiting business. Okay, good, life, good. life I'm here for a while, I hope so. <laughs> um, but I, I really haven't thought about an exit uh, in the business world. I enjoy what I do. I enjoy the people I meet. I hope I can do this for another 20 years, you know, as long as my health uh, stays as well as it is right now. Uh, I, I hope to do that. I hope to spend more time with my wife, you know, taking time off, not working quite as much as I do, and enjoying the, the, the little things that we enjoy. Uh, it doesn't have to be anything crazy. It's just uh, the simple things in life, whether it be going to dinner at one of the finest restaurants in Portland, because we have many of them, uh, to just taking a drive down the coast uh, you know, to see some of the wonderful architecture or stopping by and meeting people. Uh, people mean the most to me, I think, so I, I really... I don't want to. I don't want to stop what I'm doing. I enjoy what I'm doing. So I am living today at the present. Uh, I'm getting ready to do my rotary auction right now. It's exciting for me because we're going to generate fifty thousand dollars that we can give back to our community. But it, I mean, we're also reaching out to all the business people around, and and they're giving back. So that's a good feeling. Uh, I, I see myself as continuing to be a huge community supporter. Uh, I don't know about internationally. I think I'm going to be more locally because I see a lot of need locally. So I'm always focused more locally. Um, so I, I see myself as not developing any type of retirement strategy that many people think they need to do. Uh, my total vested interest is in my business and the people that work for me. I mean, I have a lovely home on the beaches that we've worked very hard for with mortgage like everybody else does. So we don't live a very fancy lifestyle. We just enjoy life uh, and giving back. Jim, what thoughts do you have for the next generation, for people like your son who are out there in the world? I think they have a, a very difficult road ahead of them. Um, one of the things that I have tried to battle for many years here, and, and it's a topic that nobody wants to talk about, is uh, the amount of drugs that are uh, an abusive level in this country. Uh, I think there's a small percentage of the, we'll call them millennials, because that's the, the name they get, a small percentage of those who are going to have enormous challenges um, taking care of uh, the next generation of uh, drug use and, and alcohol abuse, uh, I'm going to say, which leads to other issues. Uh, our country needs to get a, a real grasp on that because it's going to be a very small percentage. We have a large uh, group of people that are getting to an age where they're going to require medical care um, at a an alarming rate because we're living much longer so this group has twofold they've got less people paying taxes less money to support the people that are retired or need medical care they have a drug issue with you know how do we maintain um, some sort of social atmosphere that can be productive in the in our country and I, I really think they've got some some huge huge um, hurdles to and I I hope they're starting to recognize that and uh, I hope that us as a as a a group of business and and community leaders will assist them in that and give them some guidance and push this and not allow um, this to overtake our country because 
you know, I, I hate to say this, but I really think our country is getting weaker by the year. It's not getting stronger. Our um, strongest people were probably uh, born and raised in the 40s and 50s during the, the post-war condition and worked through World War II. We'd learn a lot by listening to that elder group, which is slowly dying away, unfortunately. And the hardships that they endured, um, none of us have seen. And uh, those were hardened people that um, really, really could live on nothing. And you know, I think this new generation of millennials have had everything given to them. They haven't had to work for it. So there's only going to be a small percentage of them that are going to have to work really hard to keep this country on track. It's an interesting point you bring up about um, drug use. And I can I can say as a physician in Maine, um, for quite a number of years and having worked in the correctional system as a doctor and also having worked in some of the poorer sections of the state, I, I, th I think there is more of a problem than we recognize. And I think it's, it's, it's more pervasive than we know. I mean, it's people who are just, you, it's, they're not the people you would expect. They're your neighbors, they're your friends. And I think that there is some sense that of something so difficult to deal with that you have to use either prescription or non-prescription -prescri drugs to deal with it. I think that I think you're probably right. It's it's enormous, and you, you don't have you ask anybody you meet has have you do you know somebody or you know a relative or whatever. It has touched the lives about everybody, and um, if you know somebody who works in the emergency room or they work in the medical care facility or they or they you know they uh, they drive an ambulance for a local fire department. Uh, it is scary, some of the stories you'd hear. And these are people that, they're non-functioning in our society, unfortunately, for the most part. Or they're going to be, become more non-functioning in our society. We cannot continue this, this tract of having more non-functioning people in our society. We need a, a collaborative community that can work together as a whole. The more, more people that we have to support through fewer, it just, it just doesn't make great economics you know it's just not going to work and um, if more people would take the approach I have you know less drug use and, and a lot of times drug use is attributed to pain they may have started small and, and have grown in my own uh, high school class I can honestly say there was a tremendous amount of people that went to stronger and stronger drugs over time from alcohol to things that they could not get away from and then later on death yeah, it's interesting that you would say that, having also graduated from a high school in Maine and actually having just, it feels like somewhere around my age, things come home to roost and things start to happen and people do eventually, their bodies just give out from some of these things. I think it just, it just happens. Yeah. Um, but I also know about you that despite your concern for the next generation, you've somehow managed to pull things together in your own life and somehow managed to defy the odds, I guess. So do you think it's possible that this next generation will be able to do exactly what you've done in your own life? Absolutely, I think they can. And I think it's just a matter of us all communicating to that generation and, and showing that anything can be achieved. You know, There are ways to overcome any hurdle today in life. Uh, I just look around the world. Things are terrible in many parts of this world. And we don't have it that bad here, folks. I mean, we really don't. We've got it really made. And um, we need to talk to our youth and make sure that they're in a developmental stage to carry on with the community spirit that we have today. And I also like, personally, I like learning from 
the people that, you know, I like learning from my own children. I like learning from the younger people that I work with. And I like the value that they also have to offer, having grown up at an entirely different age. And I, I love the fact that it's not just us talking to them, but it's also us listening, listening. to them and collaborating. And really, I think that we can create a stronger community if we all value each other for what we have to bring to the table. Yeah, I would agree with that. We all need to, as I said early on, we need to listen to ourselves and debate openly and not argue because I think uh, debating is a lost art for the most part today. But I think uh, talking back and forth and, and leaving the mind open on both sides is very important today. Well, Jim... I may be about to make your life a little bit more stressful because I'm sure after listening to this interview, people are going to want to hire you to come work on their properties. I certainly know we couldn't have done our work without you on our house. How can people find out about Jim Godboo Plumbing in Biddeford? Well, we have a, a website, uh, jimgodboo.com, which has um, been around for a long time since the web actually was introduced. I got uh, That's an interesting story, too, because I learned how to use a computer. Uh, I got ill at a young age with... Um, um, pleurisy, and then I got uh, pneumonia. So I was down for the count for about a month or so, and I taught myself how to use a computer at a very young age. So, uh, and then thus the website came, and we've educated our customers with the website, and uh, we continue to use that. We're changing it all the time. So uh, they can reach out to us there, uh, dropping us a, a line with any questions, and we're always willing to help, whether you're near or far. Uh, we have a network all over the United States of good people that in our trades and, and good people in, uh, in communities that can help anybody. Um, so it's not always about just locally. It may be somebody in northern Maine or in Canada uh, or in western United States somewhere. So we're, we're there to help all. We've been speaking with Jim Godbu, who owns Jim Godbu Plumbing in Biddeford. It's really been a pleasure to spend time with you today, and thank you so much for all the work that you're doing. Great. Thank you, Lisa. You have been listening to Love, Maine Radio, show number 192, Resilient Life. Our guest today was Jim Godbu. For more information on Jim, please read the June issue of Maine Magazine. For more information on all of our guests and extended interviews, visit lovemainradio.com. Love Main Radio is downloadable for free on iTunes. For a preview of each week's show, sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Love Main Radio Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter and see my running, travel, food, and wellness photos as Bountiful One on Instagram. We love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think of Love Main Radio. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable us to bring Love, Maine Radio to you each week. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. I hope that you have enjoyed our Resilient Life show. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. May you have a bountiful life. Love, Maine Radio is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Marcy Booth of Booth, Maine, Apothecary by Design, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage, Harding Lee Smith of The Rooms, and Bangor Savings Bank. Love, Maine Radio is recorded in the studio of Maine Magazine at 75 Market Street, Portland, Maine. Our executive producers are Susan Grisanti, Kevin Thomas, and Dr. Lisa Belial. Audio production and original music by John C. McCain. Our content producer is Kelly Clinton. Our online producer is Andrew Cantillo. Love, Maine Radio is available for download free on iTunes. 
see www.lovemainradio.com or the Love Main Radio Facebook page for details. Mm-hmm.